Good morning, Evergreen. Happy Sunday and happy almost Christmas. Uh, As I was experiencing uh, the worship service, I was just thinking, man, this has been a perfect service. Natalia gave a perfect welcome. The band sounded perfect. We had a perfect interaction of meeting and greeting. Now I have to come on stage and preach a message. (laughs) (laughs) I want you to hear my heart. Uh, I I know that it takes a lot for some of us to come to church. Uh, For those of us who are parents, it involves not only dressing yourself but your littles. Uh, for some of us who come from far. Um, And I just pray, this is my prayer for our time together, that something would be said, that the Holy Spirit would deposit something in your heart and your mind that would bear fruit in your life, that uh, these next 30 minutes uh, would be beneficial to you, that you would be encouraged, that you would be stirred to faith, that you would become curious if you're someone who's newer to the faith. That is my heart, and I understand that not everything written in my notes is going to achieve that. That the Holy Spirit is working and he's orchestrating and he's talking to individuals in the room. And so my hope today is to get out of the way enough for God to do that. And so that's my prayer. And so um, I, I, I want to do that, uh, but before I do, I have a quick team announcement. Um, my name is Carlos, by the way. I am so honored to be on the Evergreen team made up of so many wonderful people. And one of those individuals is going to be transitioning out of her role Catherine Lopez. Do you know Catherine Lopez? She's amazing. Let's celebrate Catherine. If you don't know Catherine, she has been our kids' ministry assistant for the last year and a half. Catherine is a student, and she's bent on being a counselor. She is going to fix all of us someday. And so we're like, yes, Catherine, go do that. And so by the end of this month, she'll be focusing on her senior year so that she can be a future counselor. And so we're rooting and celebrating her. Now, she's not going anywhere. We, we signed her for a 10-year deal. We are smart. <laughs> 10 years that she's going to be on the eKids team as a volunteer. But what that means is now we get to welcome someone new. Guys, do you have room in your heart to welcome someone new to the Evergreen family? Yes. So I hope we have a picture. If not, we'll be showing her off. Elizabeth McCallan is going to be stepping into that role of kids ministry assistant. We're so excited about uh, Elizabeth because uh, she has been, for the last three years, been studying biblical theology. Watch out. Watch, watch out for Bible study time with Elizabeth. Biblical theology at Portland Bible College. I'll let Nathan have his moment. Portland Bible College. Yeah. yeah. He's, a, he's also a student there. Um, and she just, uh, this is what she loves. She loves Jesus. Uh, that, was, um, that was expected, right, we hope. She loves Jesus. She also loves people. Can you believe that? She loves people. She loves production. She loves music. And she loves coffee. How many coffee fans in the house. So you're going to be friends with Elizabeth. Um, She will be starting with us January 8th, and in her her own words, she says, I am so honored to be a part of this team, and I can't wait to get to know everyone. So we're just so excited for what God is doing uh, with our e-kids and all that he's doing. Um, But we're going to have to wait for her. She's going to be here January 8th, and so we're going to have to wait. But isn't that appropriate for the season? How many of you come here and you're waiting for something? Yeah? Online, type in, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for you to make your first point, Carlos. Um, I'm waiting. 
right? The Advent season, it's actually, it's meant to, to do that. The Advent season, these four weeks before Christmas Day, it's meant to build up anticipation and excitement, and we're supposed to reflect on what it meant, what it means for God to become one of us. And so this season inspires waiting, but as I was thinking about that, we're, we're not the only ones that wait, right? Right now is a time where culture waits. How many of you are waiting for that package to arrive? Yeah? We're waiting for that package to arrive. I know our little ones, they are waiting eagerly to open up those gifts that they see around the Christmas tree. They're waiting to open the gifts. The students in the room, any middle school, high school students in the room? Yeah? I bet that you're probably waiting for winter break. Yeah? How many teachers in the room? I bet you're waiting for the same thing. Yeah. With more enthusiasm. Yes. We're all waiting. And if you're like me, you're waiting for next month to start exercising again. Because it doesn't make sense during the holidays, right? Don't take that for advice. Please continue to exercise. I'm just the one that believes that. And so um, here's what I want to say about waiting. Uh, I want to make this premise that um, waiting's important because if you can't wait, you can't hope. If you can't wait, then you're missing out on this wonderful thing that I want to dive into, which is hope. Now, we all are familiar with hope. But for us to get on the same page and have a common understanding, I want to offer this definition of hope. And it's this. It's anticipating a future that is better than the present. That's what we we do when we hope. We are anticipating, we're expecting, and what we are anticipating and expecting is better than what we are experiencing. That's the essence of hope. And if we do a word study of the Bible, we'll see a few different translations of this word hope. But the most simplest form for us to think about how the Bible uses hope is two words, and that's to wait. When we translate the original language, the original word, it says to wait. And so fundamental to experiencing hope, which I hope that all of us experience that, fundamental to doing that is this experience of waiting. And so this is one of my first points. Hope requires waiting. Hope requires waiting. The next thing I want to say about hope is this. Hope is essential. Everyone say essential. Yeah. Right? After going through the pandemic, we got used to that language, right? Maybe like, ah, oh, could you have chosen a better word? Hope is essential. Here's what someone said about this word hope. Hope is crucial for healthy human existence. It is crucial. Because if hope really is anticipating a future that is better than our present, then hope then serves as fuel for life itself. It motivates us. It keeps us going. Without hope, it's hard to be motivated. Without hope, there are things that creating us or creeping us that we want to stay away from, things like pessimism and indifference and despair. Those are the effects of when hope is taken or lost 
or hard to grasp. And so we know that hope is essential. And we have this famous Holocaust survivor and, um, and successful author, Eli Wiesels, who said this. Um, he famously uh, was known to say this, just as man cannot live without dreams, he, he cannot live without hope. There was, there was a conversation, there was a deep dive study of people who survived the Holocaust and what they narrowed it down to were those that were able to still hope in the midst of those evil and dark circumstances. Yeah. Hope is essential. Hope keeps us alive. Mm. It fuels life. And so that's why I want to dive into why hope is important. And I just want to offer this because it's a famous saying in an English proverb, good things happen to those who wait. Well, I want to say today, good things happen to those who hope. And we're going to study today a moment in the life of an individual who I believe modeled good waiting. He modeled hope. And you may have uh, read his story. His name is Simeon. And we find his singular mention of his life, of his existence in Luke chapter 2. And I just want to go there together and just really see what can we learn from Simeon when it comes to waiting, when it comes to hoping. So let's read it together. It'll be on the screen. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25, it says this. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and, he had, re and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him into the temple, so when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the, to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Can you imagine this moment? Can you imagine his parents? Have you ever had some compliments thrown your way at your children? I mean, this is next level stuff, right? And so here's what I want you to know. I want you to know just contextually, uh, where, this, um, where this event happens in the story of Jesus. Here's what we think we know. We think that this happened about 40 days after Jesus' birth. So um, if you're kind of a chronological person, you're like, hey, you shouldn't be talking about Jesus' birth until Christmas. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to offend you. I fast-forwarded a little bit. But um, we believe that it was about 40, uh, really smart people believe that um, there was about 40 days that happened between Jesus' birth and this moment for a few reasons. Number one, there's a mention of a time of purification. And so what we understand about Jewish law is that any, anyone who was unclean couldn't enter the temple. And so um, for those of us who've witnessed pregnancy, is that a clean event? <laughs> Not so much, right? And so um, by law, Mo, uh, Mary and Joseph had to actually stay away for 40 days in order for them to come into the temple and present Jesus. 
Now, they're doing this because they're devout Jews. And the law also said that any firstborn son was meant to be presented, not only physically presented and blessed over, but there was actually a gift that had to come with it. And it says that Mary and Joseph, they brought two pigeons or doves to offer as this gift. And that's significant really because that points once again to that Joseph and Mary, they were regular people. They were regular people. There were other options to offer. This was the best they could do. And so here were these humble parents, and they're being good, devout Jews, and they're coming to present Jesus, very similar to a dedication, a baby dedication, which we're going to have next service. And that's all that's happening about 40 days after Jesus' birth. And here is a moment in the life of this man, Simeon. Everyone say Simeon. Oh, Simeon. Friends, Simeon gets one mention, and he gets a one-line description, and I want to say it's the best description you can ever get. Because consider, how do people describe you? Or when you've been in school and, and you, were, you were asked to describe, describe yourself in one or two words. What words do you grasp for? What, what do you choose? You probably, like me, you say handsome and smart, probably. <laughs> I don't, just kidding. No, it says that Simeon was righteous and devout. Righteous and devout. Have you ever described yourself as righteous and devout? I'm going to look for some of your dating profiles and see if you're, if you're being honest. If I see righteous and devout in there, I'm going to call you out. <laughs> right? He was righteous and devout. But what I want to focus on is not what, who Simeon was described, but what he was doing. What was Simeon doing? He was eagerly waiting. Simeon was eager, eagerly waiting. He was in a state of anticipation. He was expecting better. And so I want to dive into exactly what um, he was waiting for. And the first thing that I want to say is Simeon was waiting for something massive. Simeon was waiting for something bigger than himself. This is, this is bigger than like, you know, like, when I was waiting on that Super Nintendo in 1993, <laughs> right? Or just think of that greatest gift, the thing that you knew you were gonna, just going to be life-changing. Simeon was thinking beyond himself because what Simeon was waiting for was for the rescue, the redemption, the consolation of his people. Now, if you don't know, Jesus was a Jew, and he came into a time in Jewish history where they had... They, had, they did not have their own nation, and not only did they not have their own nation, for generations, for years, they had been dominated and oppressed by different people groups. And so during the time of Jesus, it was the Romans that were oppressing the Jews, and it was, it was Simeon's hope, it was his desire that he would see his people free and liberated and rescued. And so Simeon... He was waiting for something big. Yeah. And so maybe, maybe that's the first thought is, what are we waiting for, and is it bigger than ourselves? I believe that God creates us with a new heart after his own son that is a life that really thinks about more than just us. The challenge of following Jesus is to live an out-focused life and so I want to encourage us with this. This Christmas, are we hoping for something big? 
something massive that's going to bless people, that's going to bless nations. Simeon was hoping for something big. The next thing that Simeon was waiting on, he was waiting on someone specific. He was waiting on someone specific. It says that the Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now, I, I cannot wrap my head around how significant this was, that this man had such a relationship with God. He was, he was so uniquely spoken to that he had this promise that, you know what, that thing that your, 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 your history, your culture has been waiting for, not that thing, that person, this Messiah, this Old Testament mention over and over again of this rescuer, this ruler, this king, this, this Messiah, this savior, that you, Simeon, would actually not die before seeing him. Can you see how significant this is? Can you see how that promise fueled Simeon's hope? That no matter what the circumstances was, he trusted that, the, that God would come through with his word. And it was very specific. He was waiting on a person. And I can't emphasize this enough that Simeon, his waiting um, wasn't, um, wasn't based on emotion. It wasn't based on, uh, you know, community gossip or what was trending or what he had thought he heard. But Simeon, the source of his information was the Holy Spirit. And I just want to take a step back and give credit where credit is due because the Holy Spirit is alive and well in this story. Do you notice the three mentions that the Holy Spirit was on Simeon, the Holy Spirit revealed to Simeon, and then the Holy Spirit leads Simeon into the temple at the exact moment that Mary and Joseph come into the temple. Can we just stop and admire the Holy Spirit, his work in history, and still active today? That's why when we say we believe that the Holy Spirit could do something in your life, it's because he has a track record of doing amazing things. And so here was Simeon following the Holy Spirit. Can I encourage you? If you want to live a life of adventure, a life of goodness, a life of positive challenge, learn to discern the Holy Spirit's voice in your life. The Holy Spirit has never led me to something where I said, oh, this this kind of sucks. (laughs) Or like, I, I really regret following the Holy Spirit here. Sure, we find some challenge, but at the end of it all, we can all say that the Holy Spirit is a good leader. And he was a good leader and a good informer in Simeon's life in this moment. But let's talk about what happens. It says, when Mary and Joseph, they came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. And what does he do? He took the child in his arms and praised God. And here's what I want to say about that. I hope that Simeon was a priest or some kind of authority because any man coming and grabbing my child, I mean, those are, those are, that's a reason to fight, right? Here is Simeon, and in his excitement, he holds baby Jesus, and here's what I want to say about that. It was promised to him that he would see this Messiah, and here he is holding 
the Messiah. And it just makes me think of how God, time and time again, does way more than we could ever ask. I mean, I mean think, about, think about the prayers that you've prayed, where you've sat back and said, that prayer wasn't big enough. That miracle, like, I didn't believe God enough to do it the way he did. Here was Simeon living with this promise that he is not only seeing, but he is holding the person that the nation of Israel had been waiting for, the Savior of humanity. And what does he say about baby Jesus? He says, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. Guys, if Simeon was a regular dude like me, he's like, I can die a happy man, <laughs> right? That's, that's the moment, right? Have you ever heard someone say that? I can die a happy man. What, when do we say that? Normally after a great steak dinner or a good round of golf, we say those things. But we never mean them. Right? No one ever means that they can die a happy man. I believe that Simeon was so at peace, that this was so significant, that he knew the significance of holding the Messiah. I believe that he says, you know what, God? You can take me now. I'm good. Think about that. Think about someone who so much desired to see the nation of Israel rescued, and the very fact that he was holding the Messiah was enough for him. Yeah. Isn't that incredible faith? Yeah. It's, it's like, it's like when, you know, when you're watching a movie and the bad guy is, is obviously winning. Like, you know, I think of the Marvel movies um, with uh, Thanos. And there's this moment where we think Thanos is going to win. I'm, I'm, I'm going to probably butcher these scenes. I'm sorry. I know you Marvel fans are like, hey, be careful now. You're messing with doctrine here. But that moment where we think that Thanos is actually going to win, and then, and then Iron Man puts on the glove and it doesn't kill him. Do you guys remember that moment? Some of you are like, Carlos, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, those of us who know how good stories are written, we, don't, we, don't, we know that that's the turning point. We know that after that, everything goes as they should go, or everything goes as we hoped. I believe that Simeon is having a moment where, God, I don't, I don't need to see how all of this plays out. I am so confident in who you are that the fact that you have sent your son, I'm already counting a victory. Yeah. I'm already celebrating. And isn't that kind of what you and I get to experience as followers of Jesus? Because we celebrate that Christ came. But we also look forward to his second coming. In other words, we know that Jesus isn't done. We look around and we see the suffering and we acknowledge that things aren't the way they should be. But we have hope in believing that the future is going to be better based on what God has done in the past. And so Jesus, his presence, is all that Simeon needed for that moment. And then I just want to end with these few thoughts because what Simeon says is significant. It actually uh, inspires the theme. We're talking about Christmas for all people this year. And today I want to make this point that this hope that we have in Jesus wasn't just limited for Simeon. It wasn't just limited for Jewish people. But since 
Scripture has revealed that Christ, that Jesus, salvation, hope, has always been meant for all people, for all nations, all who would come to confess Jesus as Lord. And that's what Simeon proclaims. He says, I have seen, in verse 30, he says, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. And so Simeon, he equates salvation with Jesus. He looks at Jesus and says, I have seen your salvation, which really should get us to think about what salvation is. Salvation, based on that, is not ideas or right thinking or right behavior or even a revelation. I believe that what salvation is, is a person. Salvation is Jesus. And that is why Jesus came and said some audacious things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not even my teachings or my ideas or my, uh, my character, but he says, I, who I am in my essence, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so if you want salvation then what you need is Jesus. Peter later preaches um, in Acts 4, he says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven to mankind by which we must be saved. And so the Christmas story, it gives us the clearest, the clearest picture, the clearest person of salvation, which is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And so, <clears throat> the Christmas story offers hope for all people. Why? Because we celebrate a Savior that came for all people. So I just want to encourage you as we, as we wrap up, I'm going to ask the band to come up um, as we... As we uh, get ready for communion as we sing one final song, I want to encourage you that if you're here today and you have, you have not given Jesus an opportunity to be the Lord and Savior of your life, well, Christmas is an appropriate time to consider making that decision. And I want you to know that there are people in this room that would tell you about how that is the best decision by far that they've ever made. And so I just want to give us a moment. We're going to bow our heads and, um, and just go to the Lord in prayer and in thought. And um, just as Simeon held the baby Jesus and identified him as salvation, I want to give an opportunity for us today to say yes to Jesus, to have that moment of clarity that Simeon had on that day in the temple. God, here is your rescuer. Here is your son. Sent for me. Sent for us. Sent to save. And so if you have not said yes to Jesus and you want to do that today with everyone's heads bowed down, you can, you can look at me and we can agree. That's all, that's all that we'll ask. Or if you're online and you want to say yes to Jesus, to acknowledge that he is your salvation. 
you want to put your trust in him, then just comment, that's me. Comment, Jesus. And that'll let us know that you've made that decision. But if there's anyone in the room here today, if you're looking at me, then we're agreeing that you've said yes to Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, we pray for the faith in the room. God, you sent your son so that we would know you. Help us to receive. Help us to put our faith in him, to trust him. God, this season we are praying for the salvation of all. That we would have relationship with you, that we would have peace because of what you've done for us. And Father, for the rest of us in the room, as we, as we gather around your table, as we take communion, God, I just pray, Lord, that you would speak to the areas of our waiting. Not only what we're waiting for, but how we are waiting. God, would we be inspired by Simeon in his devout and righteous waiting and his excitement and his appropriate response to who you sent. Help us to have that kind of faith, to believe big, to expect you to always have reason for hope. Lord, you know every heart in the room. You know every need that's being put before you this Christmas season. Would you meet us with your presence? And as we remember you, God, as I invite everyone who wants to participate to peel that first layer, as we remember the sacrifice that you made, as we take communion together, and as we hold the bread, this bread that's symbolic of the body that you were birthed into. God, you became one of us so that you could sacrifice yourself for us. So we remember that sacrifice. We acknowledge that the birth led to the cross. And we thank you that this Christmas season we can celebrate that sacrifice that you've made for us. We take the bread together in remembrance of you. I invite you to peel back that second layer as it, we hold the cup. And if you don't know, the cup represents the blood that was shed that was significant because it washed us clean. It was representative of forgiveness. The Bible speaks of this amazing exchange, um, this replacement where God no longer sees us and our mistakes and the things we've done, but he actually sees the life of Jesus. And it's because of his perfectly lived life and the blood that he decided to shed on our behalf that we are seen that way. We are seen in the likeness of
of Jesus Christ. And so we celebrate that together. We take the cup in remembrance of him.